believe in yourself Cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up on a farm in Parker, Kansas earned a bachelor's degree in agricultural economics from Kansas State University and a JD from the University of Kansas. For 14 years, he was a U.S. Senator from Kansas and then the governor of Kansas for eight years. From 2018 to 2020, he was the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom and his most important work is still in the future. His name, Ambassador Sam Brownback. And I'm Jack Prisula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Pasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to the, a man who probably is the only person in the history of the world that's been a U.S. senator, a governor, an ambassador. Unbelievable. From a little town of 277 people, a farm boy, Ambassador Sam Brownback. Senator, welcome. A real honor to have you. Oh, Jack. Gosh, what a pleasure to be able to join you on such a, and with such a positive guy. Gosh, how could we go wrong on a show like this? <laughs> we won't. We won't. Okay. Can you lead us in an opening prayer this evening, please? Happy to do it. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for your blessings that you give us each and every day. Thank you for your kindness. And even if the world looks like it's in just huge trouble, you're still here and you are still with us and for us and you love us mightily and you'll carry us through the difficulties. And we praise you for that and guide us in these words we give today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you are in control, Heavenly Father. So, all right. You've been married to Mary. She's carried you for decades. Five children, two adopted. When you tell Mary and the kids, Address me as Senator, Governor, Ambassador. What does what does Mary tell you? Uh, just <laughs> shut up, or uh, you know, I'm not doing that. I remember one time specifically. I'm in this endless conversation with one of our daughters when she was a teenager, and she's going off about all these different sort of things. And finally, at one point in time, I just hit the table and I go, "I'm a U.S. Senator, and once in a while, people listen to me." Uh, and she just kind of looked at me for a minute. Mary looked at me for a minute and then went on arguing. Everything just, you know, <laughs> continued. So, you know, it's the old saying, if if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Amen. Dad ain't happy, nobody cares. <laughs> All right. Uh, you grew up in Parker, Kansas, 277 people on a farm. Talk about mom and dad who did care. Oh, they did. And they're still alive. Dad just turned 91. Uh, he farmed until he was 87. Uh, they, uh, uh, they're just wonderful, solid, uh, salt of the earth people, hardworking farmers uh, that uh, just, you know, were part of a community, uh, worked hard and, and they raised four children on this family farm that they built up. And it's really an idyllic uh, type of setting. I was related to a number of people around in the area. My, we farmed with my grandparents. We had cousins around and just that very, very stable atmosphere that really so many people lack today. And I, I really feel bad for them in that way. Uh, growing up on a farm, what did that teach you about being a senator, governor and ambassador other well, than being around a lot of manure sometimes? I think. 
<laughs> well, if you're from a state like Kansas, it teaches you a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, it teaches you about the importance of the soil, the importance of the environment, the importance of the people that work the land, the importance of them being able to be trained, the importance of community that has to come together. Uh, it, it really uh, trains you in many ways. I was state president of Future Farmers for the state of Kansas, and that got me going really in, uh, in politics and in working with other people. Um, I, I, and, it, and it teaches you the value of work. Just plain old work. Uh, I mean, because we worked seven, you know, six and a half days a week. We got off Sunday morning. If we went for, went to Sunday school, dad would let us off. And a lot of times Sunday afternoon, if we're not planting or harvesting, we took that off as well. But otherwise, you're just at it and you're working. All right. From 1986 to 1993, you were secretary of agriculture in Kansas for eight years. Talk about that chapter of your life. You know, I, I love that job. And if uh, the environmental group uh, hadn't run me out of it, I might have just stayed there uh, in it. I love working with farmers. I'm a farm son of a farmer myself. I was trained as a lawyer. I'd been a farm broadcaster. And these were the real depression years for agriculture. There was lots of farmers going bankrupt in those early 80s and on into the mid 80s. And so we were looking for new solutions how can we further process? What other crops can we try? It was an innovative time for agriculture. And, and I, I loved working with farmers and looking for new routes forward that people could, could farm the land. We were expanding the view of agriculture from just food and fiber to food, fiber, and fuels and pharmaceuticals. So now, oh gosh, half of the corn crop, at least in the country, is processed through ethanol. A major market now for us in the, in the fuels business. All right. Talk about the life of a farmer today, Ambassador, and what they do for each of us. Well, they feed you, they clothe you. Uh, good chance your car is powered uh, by them as uh, as well. Uh, they do it really efficiently. They do it high tech. They do it as caring as they can for the environment. They use drones. They use the the GPS systems. They they plant specific for the land. It's one of the most integrated technological fields uh, that exists on the planet. And, uh, and they do it, you know, just humbly. Uh, and they do it well, and they do it at a really cheap price point for all of us. We're talking to Ambassador Sam Brombeck, who's an oxymoron. He's a politician that's been honest, classy, gracious, humble, a gentle soul, a special man. And I'm Jack Russell, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. We're with Ambassador Sam Brownback. And in 1995, he decided to run from Kansas 2nd District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Why? <laughs> You know, I had a lot of people ask me at the time, why would you go back to that den of snakes? <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I said, well, you know, I, I feel like I should. I feel calling for it. And if, you know, if good people do nothing, you should expect bad things. Uh, and that, that uh, this is important. And at the time, uh, you know, the, the Republicans never ran the Congress. We hadn't been in control of the Congress in over 40 years. 
Uh, so I was going back into a minority party and you're just kind of going, but I, I still felt a real calling as did a number of other people I ran with at that time. And lo and behold, I get elected and we take over the Congress for the first time in over 40 years. You know, this is funny. Um, nobody that had been there and served in the Congress had ever been in the majority. So they didn't know how to run the floor. Nobody knew how to, you know, because we'd never done it except one guy had been a page one time when the Republicans had uh, had run the situation and run the floor and then brought experts in. To, and we do training sessions on how to gavel and run the floor because we didn't know how. <laughs> All right. In 1996, you become a U.S. senator and you did that for 14 years. Talk about that chapter in your life. What a what a glorious place to serve in. The U.S. Senate's a lonely body, though, because everybody's pretty much individual companies. So the House is a lot more fun. You run in groups and teams there, but in the Senate, you're an individual. And so it was a kind of a lonely job, but you could do a lot from it. And I helped pass the human trafficking bill, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, not the, the, the International Religious Freedom Act. I got through the African-American Museum of History and Culture. We did prison reform issues. So it, I found it just a fabulous place to where you could go anywhere in the world and meet with people because they would meet with you because you're a U.S. senator. And you could really move things through. My first big bill was uh, the Silk Road Strategy Act dealing with Central Asia, uh, which is back in the news now on Kazakhstan and Afghanistan, obviously has been in the news for some period of time. I uh, gosh, I loved serving in the Senate, but I'd given a term limits pledge that I'd only serve two full terms. So when that was up, my time was up. Uh, you would go to lunch or dinner with some of the other side once in a while. There was a civility, a respect. Today, the animosity, the hatred between the two sides. What's the solution? You know, the, the solution is relationships. You know, and, and back then, everybody wasn't civil all the time, that's for sure. But at least you could find topics that people would get together on. So like Paul Wellstone out of Minnesota, he was one of the most liberal members. I was one of the most conservative members. Together, we got together and passed uh, an anti-human trafficking act, the first one that was done. Um, I remember Paul charging on the floor one day and looking at me and said, you did this to me. You did this. And I said, what, what did I do to you? And he said, I used to be the most liberal member of this body, and now I'm ranked as the second most liberal member. And you did this to me by me working with you. And I, I <laughs> laughed and I said, yeah, Paul, hang around me and I'll get you reelected. OK, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but there was a relationship. You know, we didn't agree on most major issues, but we could find common ground on this one. And we both came at it from a little different perspectives. He was tragically killed, he and his wife, in a plane crash uh, in Minnesota. But a uh, great guy. And, and we had a relationship. And we worked at having relationships. And I think that's the real key is you, you need those relationships. All right. Then in 2011, you become the 46th governor of the state of Kansas. And you did that for eight years. Talk about that chapter. That was tough. That was probably the toughest job, I, political job I've had. We just, we were in a terrible situation. We were losing people. We uh, were losing economic uh, altitude relative to other states. Our 
pension system was the second least funded in America. Only Illinois was worse funded. And the pension system's the one that can get you. That's the one that is a big debt that you've got to pay. And, you know, we just had a ton of problems. So we had to, we had to fix a bunch of different things. Well, people want you to fix things, but they don't want change. Uh, and well, to fix something, you usually got to change it. Uh, and so it was it was a tough season, but we got a lot done. We, we really helped solve some of our water problems. We had $10 billion in wind investment in the state, which was a fabulous thing. We changed our welfare system to get more people into work instead of on welfare. We, uh, we got growth. We got business, small business growth, record small business growth, record employment, uh, even record crops. Now, I'm not taking credit for that. Uh, but my, my point of it was it, it was a hardworking, tough uh, job that we got a lot done. But when you change things, it can irritate people. And a lot of people got irritated. All right. When people in America think of Kansas, they think of the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, the Royals. Tell us about Kansas and its people, Governor. Uh, they're great people. Now, those those uh, sports teams, and I know them and go to them often, we're on the Missouri side. So there'll be a lot of people say, oh, wait a minute, that's not Kansas. Well, a lot of the players live in Kansas because Kansas City is split between Kansas and Missouri. The, the Kansas people, I think, are best recognized in Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, here was a guy who wasn't the most um, flamboyant general. He, he wasn't a guy that was seen as, you know, the, the rough and tumble out front, but he was a great team builder. And he didn't care who got the credit for something as long as we get the job done. And that's a Kansan. Uh, they're good team building. They don't you know, look, I don't care who gets the credit. We got a job to do here. We got to get this done. And I, I always think of that as the as the best trait uh, in Kansans is that that nature of working together to get a job done, regardless of who gets the credit for it. All right. In 2018. <laughs> The Trumpster, President Trump, who I think cared who got the credit for this, all right, <laughs> but got a lot done. He makes you ambassador at large for international religious freedom. What did that ministry consist of? Well, it consisted of opening the gates for religious freedom around the world. Right now, uh, you know, we're seeing the Olympics just finish up, uh, and I've been focused a lot and was during that job on China and their persecution of people of faith. They've got a million Muslims in concentration camps. They lock up pastors. They lock up and kill human rights lawyers. I, we were pushing back against governments around the world that weren't letting people practice their faith freely. And first amongst them was China because they lead such a big swath of the world. Uh, and we were getting these gates of religious freedom to fly open and people to respect this fundamental human right. You have a right to do with your own soul what you choose and to pursue whatever path that might be as long as you peacefully do it. And yet 80 percent of the world's population lives in countries where they cannot do that, that there are significant limitations on religious freedom. So we pushed hard, had summits on it, uh, put together an international alliance of countries that 33 nations joined to fight for religious freedom. And we really, we got a lot done. There's a lot more to do in that space too. We're talking to Ambassador Sam Brombeck, who's got a phenomenal passion for religious freedom, as you just heard. When we come back, we're gonna ask him, why? And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760. 
www.jr.com. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with a man who's been a senator, a governor, and an ambassador. And most importantly, an ambassador to God, Sam Brownbeck. Ambassador, you have a phenomenal passion for religious freedom. Why so? It is the foundational human right. If you, it's the cornerstone human rights of all, in my estimation, of all human rights, this is the cornerstone. And I say that because if you've got religious freedom in a country, you'll see that there's freedom of assembly. You'll find there's freedom of speech. You'll find here is an entity in a way that can push back against an overreaching government. And, but if you don't have that, you'll find all these other things diminish. So that's why you got to get your cornerstone right. And if you this one is there and flourishing, these other rights will flourish. If it isn't there, you will see all these other rights diminish. So I, I just see it really as a cornerstone to human rights. And we've been losing ground on human rights around the world, losing ground the last few decades, primarily, I believe, because we've been losing ground on religious freedom. The other point is any genocide you've seen over the last hundred years, almost all of them, are of a religious minority. It's religious minorities that get the genocide. And we've got one going on right now in the Muslim Uyghurs in China. And of course, the granddaddy of all was Hitler's killing of the Jews during World War II, a religious minority. That's what happens too often to religious minorities around the world is genocide. All right. What are you the most proud of serving as ambassador? Yeah, I think we really elevated the topic into a major foreign policy issue. Before, it was kind of off into the uh, side, Eddie. It was a boutique foreign policy issue. But I think we've really drawn people's attention to the point that, you know, if you want to head off genocides, and almost everybody does, you've got to protect people's religious freedom. If you want to head off huge amounts of killing and war in Africa, You've got to get religious freedom to stand between Muslims and Christians, or you're going to have a whole bunch of people killed. It, it, I think people are starting to draw the connection about the importance of this and the importance of religion in its role to contain government. Religion is often a force that pushes back against an overreaching government. Uh, Take, for instance, Poland and at the, uh, during the Soviet era. It's really the church that comes together that pushes back and pushes off communism. Um, You look at Martin Luther King Jr. in our own country, he organized in the black churches. It was in the African-American churches is where he organized. You know, and it pushes back against uh, an oppressiveness that was in the society. So that's why I just see it as such an important foundational issue. You played a major role in helping set up the International Freedom Alliance with 32 countries. Talk about that initiative. Well, it's one of the first alliances that have existed for a human right. We're used to having economic alliances, like the North America Free Trade Agreement. We're used for military alliances like NATO, but we're not used to a human rights alliance. And so this is one of the first major human rights alliances that we've got nations together to push for a basic human right. And they're, they're starting to get their sea legs. We just got it formed in, in 2020. Um, 
but it's starting to move. And I, I really hope this is going to work because we, we need to grow human rights, not decline them in the world. They need to be more important, not less important. And um, I, I hope this can be a part of the answer. All right. Talk to us about religious freedom and the founding of America in the late 1700s. Yeah. You know, an amazing thing. I mean, the pilgrims come here. And what? why do they come here? Are they looking for farmland? Are they looking for new land? You know, the reason they came here is they couldn't practice their faith freely. They first leave Great Britain and they go to the Netherlands. They can't practice freely there. And they get a vision to let's go to this new land. And it was brutal for them at the outset. But they came and then others came and others came with different religions. And Thomas Jefferson then has this brilliant idea that, okay, guys, now we've got the Quakers in Pennsylvania, we've got Catholics in Maryland, we got the Pilgrims and their group in the Boston area. If we're going to make a nation out of this, we got to let, we, we can't establish a church. There's not going to be a Church of America. And everybody has to be free to freely exercise their faith. And then they could bring these colonies together. Catholic and Baptist and Jew and Pilgrim and whoever else it is. And they did. And it worked. And it became really the model for the world. All right. You've mentioned this. You've touched on this. But how important are Judeo-Christian values in today's society? Well, our founders thought we want a country with maximum freedom. But the world hadn't seen any place like that at that point in time. And they said, well, how are people going to be governed? And the founders felt like you would have internal governance. This would be you governing yourself. But they also felt like the, the only way that really works is if there's some sort of higher calling, if there's some sort of moral authority within you, if there's a recognition that God exists uh, and he works through people, that that's the way you could have maximum individual freedom and self-governance. And so that's why the importance really of, of values. And I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, the other people follow different places, but there is this governance system that comes with a faith orientation. And the founders thought it was going to be critical to be able to maximize your, your faith as an individual and still be able to operate a nation. All right. I quote you now. Today, Western civilization is much more supportive of and accepting of everyone except Christians. Why? Yeah, you know, I think there's just been a growing intolerance of, of people of faith. Uh, there's been a growing tolerance everywhere else, but not of people of faith. Uh, and I, I think that's a real tragedy. I, I think we should all accept each other peacefully practicing what we what we believe in. And and I that's why I put it out there and said it. It's kind of a it's a bold statement, but unfortunately, it's true. Uh, and I just I, I really hope we people can look and say, OK, I may not be a, a Christian. I may not be a follower of Jesus, but I respect you for doing that. And that's what we really need to have for each other is just this respect. We really should love each other, but at least this level of respect that I respect what you what decisions you've made. All right. If the devil was listening, he would say, Ambassador Jack. I don't really have to be very upfront about religious persecution in America because we've got, I control the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. 40% of our young people, Ambassador, say religious is, is not important. Um, how did we get here? And most importantly, 
What do we do about that? You know, I think the biggest thing you do about it is you live your faith honestly. You know, Gandhi uh, at one point in time, and I'm paraphrasing him, had said he thought he might become a Christian if he could ever see somebody that actually lived the faith uh, and that he had read about. And, you know, you look at it and you kind of go, uh, that's the key. It's really just living. It's living the faith. And I think we just in successive generations have thought, well, we don't really need it or it's not that important or it's not that real. Back in 1995, I had cancer. Uh, and, and it was a simple cancer. We caught it early, got it dealt with, but during that period of time before I knew really, did we get it or not, uh, get ahead of it or not? I'm, I'm searching for God to be real. And I want to know that he's real. Uh, cause if this is, uh, gonna, if this is the end, I, you know, I want to know that I invested my life in the right place. And, and he became real to me. I found him. He, he really was there. Uh, and that's, I think, what we've got to do for people is that, that God has to be real to them. And we've got and he's, and he's got to shine through us for them to see him to be to be real. We're talking to Ambassador Sam Brown Beck. And one of the Beatitudes is blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And people today would say that's crazy. But the late great Robert Schuler once did a sermon and he said, Meek back then meant mature, educatable, emotionally stable, and kind. And you, sir, are meek. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Ambassador Sam Brownback, and I quote you, I'm a huge fan of Hong Kong. Please. Well, it's a fabulous place. Was, uh, anyway, until the communists started taking it over, uh, as opposed to the agreement that they gave the British, saying they would give 50 years for Hong Kong to have self-governance. It was going to be two systems, one country. Well, Hong Kong, I really thought, would change China. But what's happened is China's come in, abrogated the agreement, and now they're changing, and I think they're going to ruin Hong Kong. I, uh, I, I'm really saddened about what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. And remember, they want to lead the world. They want the world to follow the system they have. 
And that's what they're putting out there and pushing. And instead of Hong Kong changing them, they've changed Hong Kong. One of the Tibetan leaders once told me, he said, either the world will change China or China will change the world. And I think we've really got to stand up to the Chinese Communist Party. I love the Chinese people. I have a daughter from China. This government is evil in China. All right. Let's look what's going on in America. We all know what China's doing, okay? But the NBA gets so much money from them, nobody speaks up. The Winter Olympics, um, Hollywood, high-tech companies, many of our politicians, universities. <clears throat> they got all these Chinese students coming over, making 50, you know, paying $50,000, supporting them. What can we do? We can stand up and we can call evil, evil. Uh, that was Vaclav Havel's statement uh, to the world. He said, uh, speak truth always uh, and call evil by name, call good and evil by name. And we can call what the Chinese communists are doing is evil. You know, I, I've got great hope here. The uh, initial watching of the Olympics, terrible TV ratings, Women's Tennis Association pulled out after, you know, they treated one of their own players over there so badly. Uh, the American people are reacting to this and the Congress is reacting. Now we're starting to separate these economies, the Chinese economy from the U.S. economy. And really, it's a lot of Western companies that are propping up this communist regime in China now. If we back away from them, I believe that place collapses. And it needs to collapse so that it can engage its own people in some sort of democracy. Speaking of which, in 2019, you gave a speech in Hong Kong, and I quote you, China is in a war with faith, and it's a war they will not win. Please. They won't. I gave that speech. I gave that line, and this is at the Hong Kong Foreign Press Association. And boy, everybody kind of sunk in their chairs after I gave that line. They were kind of wondering, well, are we going to come close this place down? But it was truth. I had also been in Romania, where the Romanian Orthodox Church is headquartered. And they told me, he said, you know who used to occupy this building? I said, no. He said, it used to be the headquarters for the Romanian Communist Party. They're gone. Romanian Orthodox Church, which has been here for 2,000 years, is still here. The, the, China, you, the thing about governments and faith is governments often try to control faith, and they never can, and they will never win this fight. They, they can control it for a while, but they won't win this fight. All right. Your current chapter is you're a fellow for the Center for Religious Liberty. This is your latest chapter. What does that entail? Well, I'm teaching a course at Catholic University on International Religious Freedom. I'm a senior uh, fellow for Open Doors USA, which advocates for Christians to be able to be free around the world. I'm writing a book uh, right now on China's war on faith and, and delineating what all they're doing and some of the things that we need to do in pushing back against that war on faith. Remember, the war is not just with us and China. This is about what the world's going to look like. Either the world in the future looks a lot more like China or it looks a lot more like the United States, uh, hopefully as us improving. Uh, but 
that we're in a global conflict right now with China and, and we need to highlight it. And that's why I continue to push out and press against the Chinese Communist Party so much. We're talking to Ambassador Sam, Sam Brownback, who grew up in a town at 277 Parker, Kansas, on a farm. He was a farm boy, <clears throat> the only person ever to be a U.S. senator, a governor and an ambassador. Do you ever pinch yourself and say, why me? I, I once ran for president uh, <laughs> and just before we're going out on the stage at the debate at the Reagan Library, they kind of clear the room before you go out on the debate. And it's just my wife and I sitting there and we just looked at each other and go, how did we get here? Uh, and, you know, and just I just I said to her, I said, well, we know a big God uh, and he's got plans for people and that's how we're here. And that's, I mean, I just, God's opened so many doors for me and I've been so blessed. And um, so that's, I, that's how it happened. And you've been a great salesman for him. Keep it up. All right. Speaking of our heavenly father, he is in control. He's already won. The devil knows he's lost, but he's fighting like crazy to take as many down as he can. Um, talk about the fact that God is truly in control. You know, it's hard to believe that some days you look around with COVID and people dying of a virus and you look at evil in the world and you're just thinking, how can God allow those sort of things to take place? And then you look at what he allowed of his own son uh, to be crucified and martyred for my sins. And I think that the key thing to do is to look at it not through earthly eyes, but, but through heavenly eyes. We get to live here on this earth. 80, 90 years, maybe. Uh, and that's it. But then afterwards, there's this huge eternity. Meaning in God's economy, this period of time is about what you get in that period of time, which is far longer. And I think we just got to see that the world's a fallen place, but God puts us here to be witnesses to his glory and his grace and his beauty. And you, and you do that. I, uh, I remember seeing this little songbird on, bird on a pole in Austin, Texas, and there was big storm clouds behind him. And this little songbird's just singing away his, all his life for all he can. And these storm clouds are just back there. And I thought, you know, that's a picture of what we should be like. Got storm clouds all over the place, but we should just be singing our hearts out. All right. One of the greatest gifts we can be given is the gift of gratefulness. And you, Sam, have that in spades. I'm going to quote you now. I had the good fortune of having cancer in 1995. Let me say that again. I had the good fortune of having cancer in 1995. Why? It made my faith real. It, it, you know, God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't waste any of it. He uses all of that. And what he did with me is... It was at a point in time I had to decide, God, are you real or not? As I'd mentioned earlier. Uh, and I finally had to say, Lord, I've messed this life up enough. I'm giving it to you. You're real. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit trying. It's, it's yours. I need your grace. And he did. And he started coming through. And it's not a, <clears throat> it's not a year later. I'm running for the U.S. Senate. I, he puts me in the Senate. I end up governor, ambassador, um, just all the blessings that he's given. But 
Remember, God operates about 180 degrees opposite how man operates. Man says, be proud. God says, yeah, be humble. God says, you know, I mean, man says, you know, we, we need to accumulate and get things. God says, give it all away. You know, man says, you know, you got to kind of push your elbows out and around. God says, you got to love and give the neighbor your, your coat off your back. I mean, it, it just, you got to remember that the kingdom of God operates about 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of man. But if you'll operate God's way, hey, he, he comes through, he'll give you all the stuff that you need. He says, you know, if you seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. And this is how us Cubs fans have lived. You know, <laughs> let the other person win, right? Let the other team win. So, all right. Um, half a minute to go. Can you lead us in a closing prayer this evening? Lord bless this audience. I uh, pray that they are loving, that they love you and they love one another and that they are witnesses of another way. They are people who see a different kingdom, that they see the kingdom of God, not just the things of man. And they live that way. They live for an eternal kingdom, not whatever time they have here on earth. And you would bless them and protect them and guide them and show them the way and your love would pass through them and they would love and respect everyone else. In Jesus' name, amen. And be with Ambassador to Sam Brownbeck and his family, who truly lives as a great ambassador to our Heavenly Father. Thank you. It's been an honor. My pleasure, Jack. Thank you. <clears throat> Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Pasula. Thanks for listening. And make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible. It's Paul. Believe